man, it is good to see you guys here today. Pray for Wagi. Wagi is preaching in Bob Matthews Church this morning in Stockton, Kansas. In fact, why don't we just do that right now? Should we, can we do that together? Father, we lift up Wagi to you and, and that church in Stockton. I don't know the name of the church, but God, I know who they are. Uh, they're people that Jesus Christ purchased with his blood and people that have said yes to the gospel. And, and they're gathering together as the called out assembly in a little place in Stockton, Kansas. And, and we know, I don't know what Wagi's preaching, but I do know what he's preaching. He's preaching your word by your spirit to your people. And so, Father, just like we ask you to do here, would you bless? We pray for salvation. We pray for encouragement. We pray for, Lord, if there's people that need to get right with you in Stockton, Kansas this morning, I just pray, God, that by your spirit, you would lead them further into your love, into your light, into fellowship with you as, as Pastor Wagi opens the book. And, and Lord, I pray for Lois. God, I pray that you'd use Lois to communicate love and that, Lord, she would receive great love, that Lois would leave that place knowing she's loved, but she'd also be able to share love with others. And, Lord, when she leaves, people would know that, that they're loved also. So, Father, we just ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Rokus and, and Wasam are doing medical conference right now, and they're gone. So we're missing several people this morning. And, and uh, I tell you, I miss them. When people are, when you're not here, I miss you guys. And it, we're going to be talking about the world this morning and what it is. And when you see the world for what it is, you don't want any part of it. You're kind of left. You're like, well, I don't have anything in the world, so what do I have? You know what? I have the things above, and I have God, and I have his word, and I have the people of God. And so what happens is we start to mean more to each other because we realize these are the relationships that really matter. So anyway, you know, I, I miss those guys, and, and I'm, I'm praying for them, and we need to be praying for them and remembering the people that are gone. I look around the room, and Where's Frankie? I mean, I'm just not okay. If your choice is to be in the world or to be as part of the called out assembly, and then you're just, I mean, everybody misses sometimes. I'm going to be missing some Sundays with you as I go do stuff this fall. Everybody's going to miss sometime, but if, if people just aren't ever coming, and that's a red flag, isn't it? Not okay with that. I love that guy. He should be here with us. Amen. Let's pray, huh? Man, keep praying and keep trying. Uh, I mean, we can't literally kidnap him. I kind of want to, but that's what I'm talking about. Let's hog tie him in the spirit through prayer. Let's get, I mean, uh, anyway, okay. So um, I want to make an introduction this morning. Doug, can you come up here? Sure. Now, if you've been around very long, you know the name of Doug Pearson and Bethany, and, and, and maybe you know Doug personally, maybe you don't. Doug is a missionary, and he has helped us as a church get to know the missions world. So for an example, Doug was really twisting my arm to get someone to come to Vietnam and Cambodia. And, you know, so finally it's like, okay, 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 yes, Doug. So, yes, we'll come. Um, I couldn't go. Okay, I was going to go, but I couldn't go. And I was looking around the room, and I'm just praying, Lord, this is like a big deal. Not just anybody can go and lead a trip to Vietnam. There aren't that many people who he would just turn over someone else's kids to to take them to Vietnam, Right. So I'm praying like, Lord, who is it? And then as I'm praying, I'm, I just look over, I see Andrew on. I'm like, so I thought, well, maybe. So I just went to Andrew and I said, hey, Andrew, I'm supposed to go to Vietnam. And he's like, I'll do it. And he was just so excited because God had had him. Okay, that came through Doug. And there's been our, we, our India connections have come primarily through Doug. And Doug has been 
very beneficial for us. We, we support Doug and Bethany as missionaries. They are recommended missionaries through Midtown Baptist Temple. So Doug can't go to India, can't go back to India yet. So he's kind of stuck here. He's going to be jumping in with us here and living well. Okay. So Doug, just kind of, kind of tell us whatever you want here for a little bit. And then, um, and then, and then, uh, I'll just say a word that, uh, I'm just a nobody from Wyandotte County, you know? And, uh, and so I was raised in the ministry of the Kansas city Baptist temple, the same time with Sam miles and Kenny Morgan. And these guys were all just peers that, we saw God raise us up. And when God, God sent me to India, uh, this church really got behind us. That was back in 2006, you know? So in 2006, the church started to support us as we were in India. And then I met my wife there in India. And then we, we ended up going to Cambodia and then Vietnam. And so, so as it is right now, like because of COVID, right, we can't go anywhere, you know? So it's good to be stuck. I, I figured if we're stuck in Kansas city, this is a good place to be stuck. Right. We'd like to get back over to India. So this next Saturday, my wife is going to be one of the speakers at the women's conference. And she'll talk about her experiences of what it's like to be a missionary wife living in India and in Vietnam. And, and so it's going to be a great time. So let's, let's hang out together. And I would love to come to some of your, uh, you have the community uh, Bible studies, right? So, so I'd love to come to some of the community Bible studies that you guys have. Just enjoy fellowship with you all and my wife as well. And so let's just pray for that and that we'll be able to encourage you all. All right. Good to be here. Okay. So don't abuse Doug and Bethany. Like, first of all, be friends with them. Okay. But then after you've become friends with them, uh, We'd, we'd be missing it if we didn't consider them a ministry resource. Hey, Doug, I'm, I'm going to be working to reach my community to, to, as part of this Bible study. Here's what I'm planning. Here's what, I'm, here's, what I've, here's what I've got in mind. What do you think? Hey, Doug, we're going to go out and we're going to do some evangelism. You know, hey, can you come and just help and teach us how to do this. So in other words, I seriously don't abuse them, but I mean, consider them a resource and, um, and, and you could abuse them just a little bit. They're missionaries. They, they like it. So um, does that make sense? I, if I were starting a community Bible study, I'd get my plans all written out and I'd, I'd just take Doug out to lunch and say, Hey, here's what I'm thinking. What do you think? If I was putting together my five-year plan to get to the mission field, I'd, I'd take that guy out to lunch and just say, hey, here's, here's my plan. What are you thinking? So anyway, all right, grab your Bibles, grab your handout, and um, we are in 1 John this morning, of course, 1 John chapter 2. This is week nine of our fellowship series. Last week, we looked at the Apostle John's ages and stages. The Apostle John gave us three ages with the corresponding stages of fellowship with God. There's little children, and you're just in the camp. Your sins are forgiven you. You're in. You have fellowship with God. Praise the Lord. And... You know, in terms of the tabernacle, that'd be just like getting into the outer court. You're in there and you, you're past the altar and you've made it in. And praise the Lord, you actually know the Father, whether you know it or not, because you went through the gate, which is Christ, and you saw the altar, which is where Christ laid down his life. And, and that righteousness barrier, the, the six foot tall linen wall that would otherwise keep us out from the presence of God. You've, you've passed through that and you're in little children. You actually know the father. He's the one who did all this. Okay. And then the young man, that's like entering the outer, I'm sorry, the sanctuary, the inner court. Like, so you're actually in the tent, not just in the courtyard. And, and we know that the showbread is in there. That 
picture is the word of God, and there's the altar of incense, the prayers of the saints that rise up, and there's the light of the Holy Spirit. So there's that young man, and John says, young man, you're strong. The word of God abides in you, and you've overcome the wicked one. And so just like the word of God is in the young man, that showbread is in the inner court. And then finally, fathers, you have known him, which is from the beginning. Those fathers have that perspective. They too are fathers. They too have brought forth life spiritually or physically. They, they have maturity and they know the one that was from the beginning. That eternal plan of God. You see it. It's not just about you overcoming the devil. It's not just about you going to Bible school. It's actually now about you in relationship with the father. And you get that because you're a father. I, I, I was working out in my yard. I'm like, where are my sons at? How come my boys aren't working with me? It's not so much that I just needed help as much as I just want to hang out with my boys. And I finally dragged one out there. He was the only one home. I dragged him out there. He's like, well, I only have an hour. I got, I'm like, well, then let's hang out for an hour. And soon we're like burning stuff and building stuff and fixing stuff and carrying rocks up the hill. I mean, it was a good time, like fellowship with my son. That's, that's what fathers want. And those three stages, little children, young men, and fathers, that's, that's like the tabernacle. You finally get to the holiest of holies where the presence of God is manifested by that ark and that mercy seat. And God's like, I'll meet with you there. That's just what. So anyway, we talked about that last week. You got to go back if you want to see all that. But this week, uh, what in the world? We're going to be talking about what in the world. Have you ever heard that phrase? You've said it probably. You're going through life and all of a sudden you see something and you're like, what in the world? And what you mean by that is I just saw something that doesn't jive very well with the way I thought things should be. Now, you're not thinking through all that. Maybe you just say it because you say it. But think about that phrase. What in the world? I'm going through my day and there's something strange. There's something out of the ordinary, something that I wasn't expecting. Well, I either have to explain that thing. Usually I'm just mad about something. Like, what in the world? Who does that, right? You know, what I'm saying is the way I think the world operates or should operate, what I just saw doesn't sync very well with that. Okay, you know the book of Revelation? You know what that is? It's the big reveal. Jesus is going to come back and there's going to be a big reveal. The curtains are going to be pulled back. People are going to see things for what they really are. And here's the sad part. So many people will have missed it. They'll have missed him. They went through their whole lives. Maybe they even went to church and went through confirmation class and were baptized as a baby. Maybe they even have some form of religion. Maybe, I mean, you know, five of the seven billion humans on the planet don't claim to be Christians. And the ones that do, there's a lot of them that don't know the gospel. How many people and the big reveal are going to see things finally in light of spiritual reality? We've been studying how light came in the darkness, right? There's a lot of people who are still in darkness. And when the light, which is the life of men, the person, the Lord Jesus Christ returns, and there's the big reveal. How many are going to say, what in the world? I, I didn't know. I, I mean, I see it now in retrospect, but this whole time I've been walking in darkness and I missed Christ, and now it's too late. How could that even be? Well, it's because the world lies in darkness. See, light came into the world, but outside the light of Christ, what light is there? I mean, the word of God, Christ manifested through his people, but, but the world is going to, there's going to be a big reveal. And here's what we're going to see today is the world is messed up and it's not what most of us probably think it is. How many people in our city at the time of the great reveal are going to say, I missed it. I wish someone would have just told me. I missed it. I wish light would have come into my life. Okay, how many people in our neighborhoods, that's their reality. 
What about your neighbors? Do they know the Lord? What about our friends? What about our coworkers? What about the people that we see every day or every week? What about our families? How many are just blind to spiritual reality? My goodness. Check, check this out. Look at 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, well, gee, John, what, what is that? Okay, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's all that's out there from a spiritual perspective. Okay, it's not of the Father, all that stuff. It's not of the Father, it's of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Oh, Lord, help us to see what you would have us to see this morning. Amen. Let's work through this passage. It starts with love not. Okay, stop. Love not. This is one of those negative commands. Okay, that's what goes in the blank. It's a negative command. So basically, it's like, hey, don't do that. Don't do that. So when we think about the negative commands, here's the thing to understand. The negative command protects through prevention. It keeps us from doing something that we would otherwise do. I don't have to tell you to do something that you would never do otherwise. In fact, it'd be foolish to do so because it would just put ideas in your head, right? If someone tells you not to do something crazy, you're like, well, I've never thought about that before. But now that you mention it, maybe I do want to whatever. Okay. No, the negative commands. Hey, don't steal. Hey, don't commit adultery. Hey, guys, don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't murder. You know why God has to tell us those things? Because we have, we have a tendency to do them. Don't get mad. I'm not calling you a murderer. I'm saying you could get mad enough to murder somebody. I know I could. Someone did something to my family. I, I, I can imagine being mad enough to murder somebody. And I just might, except God said, don't murder. See, and here's what happens. Here's what happens. People want to justify murdering. It's like, well, James Bond, he's just doing service to his country. It's perfectly reasonable. I, you know, I used to like James Bond movies when I was a kid. I started, I went through discipleship, and I'm like, James Bond just commits fornication, adultery, and murders people. That's like all the guy does, except he's got a good tailor, an unlimited budget, and some sort of sweet car. <laughs> lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, 007. Okay. And I'm like, what? And then it just struck me. Well, he's justified in doing those things because he's doing it in service to his country. So then we can watch him murder, fornicate, and be greedy. We can watch him do all that with a clear conscience because it's perfectly justified. But no, it's not. God said, don't do that. Here, here's what happens when the pastor has a failure. Not, not, I'm not having to pick, but here's what happens. The guy stands up and he's like, I, I'm so sorry. I had a moral failure. And here's how the story comes out. Well, my wife and I hadn't been intimate for years, which is actually in violation of scripture. If you read first John, I'm sorry, uh, first Corinthians chapter seven, I think like don't withhold because you guys owe that to each other. So the fact that this guy, okay, they're already in violation of scripture, but then somehow that justifies the fact, well, my wife wouldn't have sex with me, but my secretary would. So what's a guy to do? Oh, I know. Thou shalt not. Here's the negative commandment. When you feel like you're justified in sinning, that's when you pull out the negative commandment. Oh, yeah. Thou shalt not murder. I don't care how angry you are. Thou shalt not commit adultery. I, I don't care. See, we want to justify it. 
when God's like, oh, no, 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 that is the exact circumstance that I gave you the negative commandment for. Does this make sense? Well, it makes perfect sense that I would lie. Yes, that's why I told you not to lie. Okay, so we have in this passage a negative commandment to start off with, which tells us right away we have the tendency to do this thing that God is now telling us not to do. So it's, it's thou shalt not. You guys with me? Let's see, let's see what we're not supposed to do. Uh, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And, and we're going to see this. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So, so we're, it's kind of like you can walk in the light or you can walk in the darkness, but you can't do both. Where the presence of the light is, there is no darkness right? You can't have both light and darkness in the same place. You can't in your heart have this love of the world. We're going to see what that is. And the love of the father in there at the same time. It's one or it's the other. You got to pick who you're going to love. So that's what we're looking at now. So, so, so let's look at the world. Love, not the world. What does that mean? Because it's confusing because John 3, 16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But here, the same guy that wrote that, John says, don't you love the world? Are we talking about we're not supposed to love other people? John 3.16 says God doesn't want anyone, any individual to perish. So he loved, he's talking about the people in the world. Is that what this is talking about? No, this is talking about a world system. And that's what we're going to see. And there's several things I want to point out here getting started. First, John, flip over the next page to 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. And let's just look at some things that we can see to learn about the world. 1 John 5, 19 says, and we know that we are of God and the whole world lies in wickedness. Wait, the whole world lies in wickedness? Oh yeah. At the time of Christ's return, at the great reveal, when everything is manifest and we're finally able to see clearly, what we're going to see is this whole world is operating under an evil, wicked system. Like, well, well it doesn't seem wicked to me. So, I mean, I know. Well, yeah, there you go. So, so how come it doesn't all, why does the Bible say the world lies in wickedness? Well, because it does. It is evil, the Bible says. Galatians 6.14. Let's see, that should be Galatians 1.4. I, I got my slides mixed up. Here we go. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present gray zone. Rob and I were talking about the gray zone. Like, got to get out of the gray zone. Yeah, this world, this present evil world, it's like, well, I didn't, I never understood this as a young man. But the more I learn about the world and the more I learn about God's word and light and darkness, it's like, oh, yeah, this world is just going to bad places. It's going there quickly. It, it lies in wickedness. Okay, so uh, this world is not our home anymore. Turn with me to the the gospel of John. So we're in the epistles of John, but go, go back to the, the gospel. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Okay. And look at John chapter 17. Galatians 6, 4. This is that verse I, I got jumped ahead to. I got, actually, I just got out of order. God forbid that I should glory, Paul says, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I am crucified unto the world. See, when you got saved, the old you who was born into this world, who fit into this world, who was just fine in this world, that person died, and you now become a new creature. You're alive unto God, but part of that transaction is now Paul has just made it official. The world, I'm dead to the world. I'm crucified to the world. Rob just got baptized. I thank God for that. He went down in the water. Who he was, buried in the likeness of his death. And now he's risen, a new creature in Christ. Risen in the light of his glorious resurrection. 
Paul, that's what he's talking about. The old me is crucified. I'm crucified to who I was in this world. I'm crucified to what the world wants to give me. Oh, and by the way, the world's crucified to me. I don't owe it anything. It doesn't get to, to rule over my life anymore. So this world is not our home. Ephesians 2, 1 through 6, I have those verses listed on there. We're not going to turn there. But it talks about how you were, you used to walk according to the course of this world. You were, but now you're born again. Same sort of story. John chapter 17, that's where we're at, verses 11 through 20. Actually, I'm not there. You're there. John 17, 11 through 20. I was talking. Okay. Jesus is praying out loud. He's praying out loud so that, so that the people can hear him. And now I am no more in the world, he says, but these, talking about his disciples, are in the world, and I come to thee, holy father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. John 17, verse 12. And while I was with them in the world, he prays to the Father, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, talking about Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus says, speaking of those who have believed on him, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them. Because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou should take them out of the world, but thou should keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world, Jesus says, talking about those who put their trust in following him. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. We see very clearly there. We are not of the world. Okay, so... It's not our home anymore. Okay. The world lies in darkness. The world is not our home anymore. It used to be. It's not anymore. And then letter C, the world is alluring. Now, here's something that takes a second to get your head around. You guys are in John 17, right? Just turn to John 15, verses 18 through 19. By the way, just... The Gospel of John, chapters like 13 through 18, you ought to just, everyone ought to have their head around those, those passages as a believer. Anyway, John 15, 18 through 19. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Verse 19. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. At the great reveal, when we see things very clearly, what we're going to find is we've had an enemy insidiously working against us, using the things of the world through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life to try and to war against our soul and bring us to make bad decisions that will lead us into captivity and bondage and frustration. This is spiritual reality. You guys, people don't even think this way. They don't even know this. And here's what I want you to see. The world allures. Hey there, big guy. Hey there, baby. <laughs> and it's some sleazy like, okay. But it doesn't do that. The world doesn't do it because it loves you. It does it because it hates you. I think about I think about the the story of Balaam and Balak in your Bible. Do you guys know that story? Numbers twenty two through through twenty four, and then it refers back to it later because Balak he's the king over the Midianites and the Moabites. They worked together to try to get Israel. They were trying to destroy Israel, and Balak is trying to get Balaam to curse him. Balaam's like, I can't curse them. They're God's people. God, like, God isn't going to prophetically give me a message to curse his people. Okay, in the story, it's kind of a long story, but in the end, Balaam tells Balak, let me tell you how you get them. You get them to disobey God in the area of these women 
And then once the Israelite men intermarry with the Moabite and Midianite women, God will curse them. You won't have to worry about taking them down. God will destroy them himself when they are disobedient to him. So I just picture these Israelite men and they're out there doing their thing. And all of a sudden the Moabite and the Midianite ladies are like, you know, ooh, hey, you know, and, and then these Israelites are thinking, wow, we're all that. We're so awesome. These ladies, they must love us when in reality, they're being allured to their own destruction. And the motivation is hate with the goal of destruction. You guys, listen, we have an enemy and he's trying to draw us back into that thing that Jesus died to save us out of. And here's the real kicker. Whose fault was it that Israel got judged, that there was a plague? It was the Israelites' own fault. They chose to disobey God because they thought they were being loved when they were really being hated. Okay, the world allures us. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so James 4, 4 through 5, ye adulterers and adulteresses. Know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Well, God, I I love you and the world. And God's like, nope. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. You can't have both. You can't walk in the light and walk in darkness. All Anyone who's married. Christine, if you're married to me, you're not going to be married to anyone else. You're not going to have a boyfriend on the side and be like, I'm all yours. Well, except Friday nights. I'm going to go out with, you know, Fred or whatever. <laughs> like, well, no, you're not. Like, it's all or nothing, right? Amen. Okay. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit within us, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? In other words, we have within us a natural tendency to envy. We want to chase after all of those things. So the world lies in darkness. The world is not our home anymore. The world allures us. And and then in this passage, go back to 1 John. Okay. 1 John chapter 2. Is it hot in here? No. I think it's just you. I'll just let that go. Okay. Okay, here's what the passage says. Verse 16, for all that is in the world. Okay, what is it that is in the world? It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's not of the Father. It's of the world. So all this is, these are the avenues through which the world works to try to get us to fall away and to make those choices which are going to take us out of God's plan and into bondage to the world okay let's look at it the lust of the flesh this is comfort ease and pleasure i want what i want i want it to be comfortable for me i don't care about you i want it to be easy because i don't like to work hard because that's not comfortable and fun and i want it to be pleasurable i want it to feel good and taste good and, and i want it to to satisfy my flesh okay so It's lust. Remember what lust is. Lust is using other people and other things, positions, circumstances. It's using other things or other people for my own benefit. So the perfect example is, hey, we're going to go on a road trip. Okay, so we're going to go on a road trip. We're in the car together and it's lunchtime. And everybody wants to eat somewhere different. Okay, that person who's like, they're making their case, they're striving, we have to eat. Okay, you got your way, but you got your way at everyone else's expense. So in other words, Scott forces his way, you know. Okay, fine. Well, then I didn't get to eat where I wanted. Xander didn't get to eat where he wanted. Aaron, it's, he used that circumstances at everyone else's cost to get his, well, that's just a simple example. And Scott would never do that, right, Marla? No, yeah, he wouldn't do that. Okay. But that's what lust of the flesh is. I want what I want, when I want, I want it how I want it. Okay? So we need to not love the world. So what do we do instead? Well, how about we trade it for a cross? 
Trade your desire for comfort, ease, and pleasure. And why don't you just take up your cross daily and follow him? Here's what Luke 9.23 says. If any man will come after me, Jesus says, let him deny himself. There it is. There, there's the word for, for lust of the flesh, lust of itself. It's I want what I want. Okay, deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. Part of my quiet time is I don't need anything from this world anyway. I'm dead to it. I'm a dead man walking. So I, I'm just going to take up my cross. I'm going to put myself on it. And now I'm going to go out and I don't have to, I don't even have to eat lunch. Much less eat where I want, when I want. God, you're enough. I'm going to just lay down my life. And, and I'm set free from discontentment, from having to get what I want, when I want. Okay, the next one is lust of the eyes. The eyes connect our pride. Yes. Cross. Trade it for a cross. Yeah. Okay, lust of the eyes. The eyes, that's what you use so that your soul can look out into the world and see what's out there. And you know the spirit that's in us lusteth to envy. Man, so if I look at Nick and I look at Nick's cool hat, you know, if I'm walking in the spirit, I'll just be like, man, I thank God that God blessed you with that cool hat, Nick. Okay, but listen, here's what we have to watch out for, the, the lust of the eyes. Like, I didn't know I needed a cool hat till I saw Nick's cool hat. But now that I see it, I want it. What happened? Through my eyes, I saw something that wasn't mine that God didn't give me. And all of a sudden, I want it. I want to make it mine. I, okay, so in a word, the lust of the eyes is just covetousness. It's wanting something. You didn't even know that thing existed until you opened your eyes and you looked at it. You know, I, I didn't even know until I opened some magazine and it's like, oh, look, you can have a trip to Fiji, whatever it is. I didn't even know I wanted it until I saw it. Now, all of a sudden, that thing starts to work in me and the lust of the eyes. So, so in a word, it's covetousness. And we need to trade that, trade your covetousness for contentment. Okay, so what, what's that mean? Look at 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So we just start off content with what we have. Just determine, I'm not going to covet what God hasn't given me. I'm set free from that. Instead, I focus on godliness. We're going to do an exercise at the end where we can just kind of work through that a little bit. The pride of life, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The pride of life is pomp. It's fame. It is vain things. In a word, you'd say vanity. I want you to look at me and see me in a certain way. Let's see, that way would be awesome. I want you to look at me and think I have a lot more money than I actually have. I want you to look at me and think that I'm a lot smarter than I actually am. So um, what I drive and, and the words I use and the way I dress, I'm going to do all that so that you all will be just very impressed with me. That's vanity. You're like, Chris, we don't care what you drive. I know, but I, I didn't know that until I thought through it. Most people drive what they drive, not because they need it to pull something or they need it to, I need all wheel drive. I need to get people from the airport. That's I, so I've got an all wheel drive with a, that third seat. That's why I picked what I, what I drive. Most people, it's all about trying to impress others. And, and it is a great relief. I could just put you guys at ease. No, nobody cares what you drive. Do you care what I drive? You couldn't care less what I drive. Guess what? Nobody really cares what you drive either. Do you guys care what my IQ is? Does anybody here care 
Now you care about me. You want me to be happy. I love you guys. You, but I'm not talking about that. Do you care what my IQ is? None of you care at all. So why should I try to use swelling words with man's wisdom? Why would I stand up here and use all this like doctorate of divinity talk or that? Why, why would I try to come up? Because there is something that's in us, which is called the pride of life. And it's just vanity. No, you guys, here, we need to trade that for a new life. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Go ahead and turn there. You guys are pretty familiar with this passage, I imagine, because we go here all the time. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, start in verse uh, 13. For whether we be beside ourselves... It is to God, or whether we be sober, it's for your cause. Paul's like, look, sometimes I act crazy. Sometimes I'm all like sober-minded. Either way, like I'm just doing it because that's what the situation calls for. For the love of Christ constraineth us. I am motivated. I am the, I'm, I'm, the, I'm doing what I'm doing because of the love of Christ, he says. And this is real interesting. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all were dead. Look, I do what I do because of the love of Christ. And here's the reason that makes sense. Jesus died for all of us. What? How does the fact that Jesus died for all of us motivate us to be moved by love and not some other motivation? He, he explains this. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because thus we judge that if one died for all, then we were all dead. Verse 15, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for him and rose again. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. So here's what he's saying. The fact that Jesus died for you means that you were a sinner separated from God and you were hell bound. So listen, you don't have anything to brag about. You don't have anything to stand up here and be vain about. You don't have any pomp and you don't need to be impressive. You are a sinner on your way to hell separated from God. And oh my goodness, you know what? Me too. We were all in a really bad place until Christ came and he died for us. And now he's given us new life. So if I'm going to, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of my Lord, Jesus Christ. If anyone's going to get lifted up in this place, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have to prove anything to you guys. I'm just living out what the Bible says is true of me. And I'm set free from having to worry about what everyone else thinks. <sighs> Because we're all in the same boat, just really grateful to be saved, grateful, and, and we just want to promote Jesus and what he's done. Okay, so we need to trade the pride of life and vanity for a new life in Christ. You guys, does that make sense? It doesn't make sense. Work through it in our small groups here. Okay, so the world lieth in darkness. The world is not our home anymore. The world allures you, but it's not because... It loves you, it's because it hates you, and it wants to trip you up, and then, and then it does that through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and finally the world is temporary. Second Peter chapter 3, Sam was in this passage this morning, go ahead and turn there, Second Peter chapter 3, in verses 1 through 13, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but basically, basically, let's start up in verse 7. The heavens and the earth, which are now, this, this world that we live in, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. That means that, that the world that we're living in right now is all going to burn up, okay, in the judgment. Verse 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? 
this world is temporary, and that's what John was talking about in 1 John chapter 2 in our passage this morning that we're looking at where he says, and the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but whosoever doeth the will of God abideth forever. So would you buy this house? House for sale, give you a really good deal on it. Would you buy that house? What's the location? Location, location, location. <laughs> the location is just a little bit downwind from a, a forest fire. That's where it is. Now, I wouldn't buy that house because it's all about to burn up. Okay. This world is all about to burn up, you guys. It lies in wickedness. You know what the matrix is? The matrix is that thing that blinds us to spiritual reality. Okay. There is kind of a matrix. It's great. Okay. The world is not our home anymore, but the world does allure us because it hates us trying to trip us up. Does that through lust. And then finally, this world is temporary. So here's the negative commandment. Ready? Don't love it. Don't. Don't do it. God says, don't murder. I know you're mad. Don't commit adultery. I know you feel like it. Don't lie. I know it would help you, you think. Don't love the world. It doesn't make any sense. Pull back the veil and let's see it for what it is. Because you know what your neighbors really need? You know what your family really needs? You know what your friends and your coworkers really need, they need to see someone who has been set free from the world because they're saying, I'm just crucified to it. I know the world has offered me a lot. No, thank you. I have the Lord and it's enough. I have God and I'm gonna follow hard after God and I'm set free. I'm not gonna fall for all those things. So finally here, the love not the world, love not the things that are in the world first john said or john says in, in in that passage there okay don't love the world it's talking about that world system and don't love things we kind of love things why is there a negative commandment that says hey listen mike bill aaron scott nick don't love things you know why that's in there because we would otherwise love things. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. If you, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection. Set what moves you emotionally. This is what you are to love, the things that are above, not the things on the earth. Don't love stuff. Don't love things on the earth. Why not? Because you're dead. Buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his glorious resurrection. Man, thank you for that illustration this morning. It just fits in so many places. I'm crucified to the world and the world's crucified to me and all the shiny little stuff that the world offers me. Man, that's what the fish said. He just didn't see the hooks on that thing. Okay, be careful. Do not love things. So, so here's how it works. Things were meant to be used and enjoyed god made the garden and then he put man in it he's like look check out these trees if you're hungry just go eat of the fruit the nuts whatever i've just got all these trees are going to supply everything you need here's your job keep the garden and let's walk together daily in the cool of the day that was it god provided everything and but stuff was external by design Things became internal by depravity. Things are supposed to be external by design. They became internal through depravity. And here's what happened. Possessiveness moves the acquisition of things internally where they compete with God for the throne of your heart. My precious. It says he went to Jared's is what it says. On there. I thought that was funny. Okay. Here's the, in a word, 
mine. That's mine. God's like, wait, I gave you everything in the garden. But now there's this thing called possessiveness where it's, okay, so between 18 months and two years of old, normal development in a to human toddler, they get the first word that they really use. So they could say mama, daddy, they, they know what a cow says. I mean, they've got some words. They've probably learned no, self-will. But the first word that toddlers really learn to use effectively is mine. Okay, and they learn that if I pick it up first, mine, whether it's theirs or not, that's what, oh my goodness. Mine, mine, possessiveness, and you can't have it says the Christian to God. Really? That's in us, that possessiveness. And this is why God says, don't love stuff. Don't love things. Well, how do I know if it's something I should love or not? Okay, is it a person, like a soul? No. Can you see it? Yes. Okay, then it's a thing. Don't love it. So we're supposed to have these things to enjoy and to provide for us and to give us our jobs, but they're supposed to be external to our souls, you guys. Don't let it through possessiveness come in and kick God off the throne of your heart. Okay, so I see it. I don't want to love the world. I don't love, want to love things, but tomorrow, what do we actually do? So here's what I want to do real quick. Let's do some practical examples. Okay, let's talk about, um, let's talk, what do you want to talk about? Relationships, job, finances, what do you guys want to talk about? Okay, relationships. Okay, so let's talk about relationships. Here's a practical example. Here's what the world would say is that you want to get fulfillment. You want to be able to look at another person and say, you complete me. You make me feel so happy. And then that means I love you. But it's all about how I feel. It's all about how I want. So I'm going to go find a person that meets my particular physical template, which, I mean, you should do that. But, okay, it's all about me and what I can get out of it. This is the person, you guys. This is in the flesh. People love dating. Because they like the way it makes them feel. Is that person going to text me back? You're all Twitter-pated. Like, I, I love the feeling of dating. Yeah, that's all about you, right? So, so what does the Bible say? Okay. So, like, being married is a lot harder than dating. Why? Because being married is all about you laying down your life. So it's not about me getting fulfilled in my flesh. It's about me laying down my rights for my wife. It's about Christine reverencing someone who doesn't deserve it most of the time, but she's going to do it anyway. She's going to lay down her life doing what Christ said. And guess what? Oh, man, I'm just going to be like the happiest husband ever. She's like, well, yeah. And then I'm going to lay, I'm going to love her like Christ of the church. You guys, Christ took the wrong men. He didn't do it. it. wasn't his fault, but he took the wrong and he said, my bad. So my bad, even though you know you did it, I'm just going to take, even though you know I'm right, I'm just going to take the wrong anyway. Why? Because that's what Christ did. Okay. Reverencing your husband takes laying down your life half the time, right? Wives loving our wives like Christ of the church takes laying our lives down, right? So what are you going to do? Is it going to be all about you and how you feel and getting your needs met? Or is it going to be about you taking up your cross, laying down your life? So here's what love is. I've learned over 31 years of marriage. You know, Christine, this morning in church, she said, will you scratch my itchy spot? I'm the only person on the planet who knows where her itchy spot is. It's on her back. Like, okay. 
Yeah, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just got weird, didn't it? Okay. What a privilege. What a what a joy it is for me to love my wife in that way that no one else in the world even knows. Like, like it's right there. And I, I get to do that. Okay. That's love. Love isn't a feeling it's scratching my wife's itchy spot. Like, like I have the privilege of knowing my wife in a way no one else does. And same thing. Well, after 31 years, that's just your lives are so entwined as people live together and lay down their lives for each other. It's very different than what the world says, which is why so many marriages end in divorce because they were never really in it to love someone else. They were in it for self. Does that make a difference? Okay. We're not going to have time to do our small groups, you guys. Um, let's do another one <laughs> as a big group. Okay. Let's do finances. So we're going to look at what the world would say versus what God's word says. So look at me at 1 Timothy chapter 6. And just, I'm going to lay down just some guidelines for us here. 1 Timothy chapter 6, it's talking about these men who, who are teaching wrong things. One thing they teach is that gain is godliness. This is the prosperity gospel. So God's blessing Nick financially, but he's not blessing Scott financially. So clearly Nick is godly and Scott is not. Okay, that's, that's not. Nick has faith and he's, he's given to the Chris Best Learjet Fund. So God has opened the windows of blessing and poured out upon Nick. All the, but Scott, he just skimped. He didn't give to the Christmas Learjet Fund. So God has not opened. God has not stirred and shaken up your... Okay. That's the prosperity gospel. God just wants you to be rich and have comfort, ease, and pleasure. He wants you to be at home and successful in this dark world. Okay, there's guys that, are, that teach that. We've all heard it on the, on the news or whatever. Okay, from such withdraw thyself. Don't send in your money to the televangelist. But godliness with contentment is great, great gain, verse 6 says. Verse 7, for he brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, that's clothing, let us therewith be content. So just be, con be content with food and clothes. But they that will be rich, those who have a will that is focused on being rich, fall in temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drowned men in destruction and perdition. Verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, there's that covet thing we saw, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Two things real quick. It is not whether or not you have money. It's those that want to be rich and that's their whole thing. The love of money, not whether or not you have money. Some of the greediest people I've ever met are really, really poor people. And they don't have any money, but they really want to be rich. And they really love money, which is probably why God hasn't given them any. This is not about whether you're rich or poor, according to our current culture. It's about what is the desire of your heart. My desire, my will is to be rich. God's like, oh, man, you're just setting yourself up for failure. The love of money. What does money? Money is a currency. What can you buy with it? Comfort, ease, pleasure. I can get a new Lamborghini and pull up. <laughs> Fancy clothes. You guys will think I'm all cool. Would, would you guys think that was cool? You'd be like, what? Okay, but that's what... That's what the love of money. Okay, so it's not about whether you have money. And I would actually say this. If you actually live godly, you're going to be a saver, not a spender. And you're going to be wise, a wise steward. And what's going to happen is over time, you're actually going to have resources. You'll have some money to steward over if you don't spend it all. God expects us to work. And then he, he wants us to be over time. 
a biblical steward, someone who's living godly, is going to have resources. It's not about whether you have money or not. So I just want to start with that. I don't want people getting off on the wrong track. Okay, so in terms of our finances, we're going to say no to self, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. We're going to say yes to godliness with contentment. So practically, what does that look like? What's the difference between what the world says and what God says in terms of our finances? Somebody. Let's have a one big small group here. Deanna. Okay, so the Bible says that this would be under the God's word says, or godly category, that we're supposed to give to support the work of the ministry. We're supposed to be givers. What's the world say about that? Keep it. Take care of number one. Make sure all my needs, I'm going to use money to benefit me, self. Whereas God would say, you need to use your money to benefit others. You need to be a giver, not a taker. Yeah, Patrick. Uh, one thing I just came into the debate. Okay, so I want to, I need to make sure my bills are paid, or maybe I need to do something that before I'm, I can pray for the church. Oh, okay. That's something I struggle because of what, yeah, I know I have to tithe, but I need to make sure my rent's paid, or I got to make sure I have food in the Okay, so. As a believer, you have to wrestle through your stewardship, giving in faith, but also being a wise steward. And, and I think that's the thing where we trust God. I've never seen the righteous begging for bread. So if there's a guy who, you know, if you can't live on 90% of your income, you can't live on 100% of your income. I mean, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. And then there's different places to live and there's better jobs. And God just provides. But really what you're saying, I think, is faith. It's sometimes it's of faith to obey God. You know, faith has to be a part of it. And then and then you do. You, there's there's. You know, so in terms of finances, I think. Living biblically, the Bible says we're supposed to focus on godliness and stewardship. Yes, Christine. So you're saying you should really not order so much from Amazon is what you're saying. <laughs> That's what I heard through <laughs> that. No, no, no. Okay. What Christine's saying is, is, you know, buy now, pay later is something that the world says hey if you see it and you want it just buy it no matter if you can afford it or not and then you get on the wrong side of interest yes is it the only place in the bible that god says test me on this well he says different times like he'll say in general like yeah oh taste and see that the lord is good blessed is the man that trusteth in him but he does he does tell us Trust me, give and see if I don't respond. Yeah. So, yeah, Mike. Huh. Yeah. I'm, I'm perfectly content with my car. I just get stressed out, you know, when things. Yeah. So discontentment can doesn't necessarily mean I want a new car. I want a new house. It can be well, God, I don't ever want to be interrupted from my comfortable life. Uh, I don't, God, please don't shake things up please don't move me to something different i mean yeah or and he may use your car to do that or whatever but yeah nick did you want to say something there yeah, uh, i'm not trying to word it but uh paul's calling is a missionary to gentile so he feels intense to um provide for the ministry so he had the money there it wasn't for to buy expensive stuff and cars that was there to, to do the ministry yeah so you can tap into it so, so 
Nick said that the, the Apostle Paul made tents, but he didn't do it for his own carnal needs or wants, I guess. He did it to support the ministry. And, and we'll call missionaries who work on the field tent makers after because we call them that's what Paul was. He made tents. So in the garden, Adam and Eve are hungry. They just go to the tree and they pull off a piece of fruit or they pull off some nuts or berries, whatever. They just eat it, right? All their needs were just met by what God provided, and it was all external to them. So, so what Nick is describing, well, tent just or Paul just did whatever needed to be done. He just went and made tents because that's what the ministry required, but it really didn't move him. His affections weren't set on his hourly tent-making union salary. He just went and did it because it doesn't really matter, and I guess this would be the thing is if we're really set free from this world, then these things just don't matter. I'm going to just focus on being godly. So tomorrow, I'm just going to go and do what I do and focus on doing it in a godly manner. And if I can be godly tomorrow, you guys, listen, I'm just happy with that. I don't care what I drive. I don't care what my job is. We, Christine and I, we wrestled through, well, God, what do you want us to do? We moved. I gave up my job. We moved from our house. We didn't know where God was going to send us or what we were going to be doing. We have never had more peace than when we were jobless and homeless with five kids. We just knew whatever he told us is what we were going to do. And God just, I mean, I opened up the book. I'm like, well, I need to be a provider. That's what it says. So, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he's like, I don't care. Just provide. Okay, well, then I'm going to do medicine because it's, I'm already done with that. Like, I'm already trained in that. I'm sort of like, I'm going to go do that. And it also pays better than anything else I would do, which would be like a coach or education or something. I don't know. But it's like, I don't care what I do. We didn't care where we lived. We didn't care where, where God took us. As long as it was God's idea, we're just going to be real careful to be circumspect and live godly. And if we could just get through the day without messing up a conversation without breaking one of the thou shalt nots. That'll be good enough for us. We're just going to walk with him. Does this make sense? Completely set free from the world. Remember when he, we met with the accountant, he's like, this is a terrible plan. I'm like, well, it's God's plan. You don't have to like it. I don't care what you think. I can't stand that guy. Okay, good. <laughs> I, Christine, we still go to the mall. He's like, I can't stand that guy. I guess, okay, Lord, I repent. Okay. <laughs> Please say Darren. Okay. Um, all right. Anything else? Gail, and then we'll wrap it up. Yeah, I was just thinking when, when you were really emphasizing being here, not only for monetary, but like uh, thinking about Doug's testimony on the, pod, on the podcast with Brandon that he said so many things that, that I heard missionaries say, but he just said it in such brilliance and how he, he really he favored his wife for ministry. Yeah. And every step that he went, that he went all these places, he just gave all of himself. And then how important it was to do that and, you know, like wanting a wife. Well, he ended up, the way it sounded to me, is that the Lord brought him a wife during his ministry over, I think it was, was it India? Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah in India. So it, it's just it really, it's, it's a perfect example of living out the word of God. Yeah. And you can't do that if you're allured by the world and you're all trapped up and, and in bondage to the world through bad decisions. So listen, grab somebody and just pray with them. And then we'll officially dismiss as soon as you're done. You can stay as long as you need to, but otherwise we'll be officially dismissed. Sorry, I, I took up all our small group time today, but love you guys. Thank <laughs> you.